Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. edition of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Met site, Amazing Avenue. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and with me this week is Greg Karam. Greg is part of the All-Star Game festivities on Tuesday. Major League Baseball revealed every team's core four players, franchise core four players, as voted on by you, the fan. For the Mets, it was David Wright, <coughs> Tom Seaver, Keith Hernandez, and Mike Piazza. We'll talk about that a little bit in a bit. But I'm going to ask you, what is your non-franchise core for? Okay, so we're talking guys who are just under-the-radar guys who we liked over the years. Yes. Um, I'll go. We're not in consideration for this list. Yeah, so this is going to... This is this will skew... Um, you know, to the to my age group, I guess, because I, I am thirty one years old. So we're gonna forget about guys who were probably predate my existence. But I'll go with uh, Kevin McReynolds was one of my favorite players growing up. He was a steady outfielder, liked him a lot. 
Um, I like Mackie Sasser. He was uh, he was a favorite of mine when I was growing up. Uh, I liked him a lot. Um, I think another underrated guy was Turk Wendell, uh, who was you know key to those bullpens and. Few years ago, or I guess it's longer now. So it's more than a few years ago, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I guess my last one, I'll go. Uh, I'll go with Todd Pratt because, really, you know who doesn't love Todd Pratt? So you're a backup catcher guy. Yeah. Everyone likes the, the backup catcher. He's like the backup quarterback. You know, everyone loves the backup quarterback because they don't get to play that much and people, show everyone how much they suck. Do people love Johnny Manel? Uh, we did like Anthony Wrecker, though. That's true. So I, I did put the, at least for for my purposes, I did put the sort of requirement they had to have at least played one game in the majors as a Met. Okay. To sort of, otherwise it would just be like use Mero Petit four times. <laughs> uh, but I did manage to sneak in another sort of barely a Met pitching prospect. Uh, again, I None of these four picks will be a surprise to anyone that's listened for the last 127 episodes. But we'll start with Brian Bannister. Mm-hmm. I like I liked Banny. He was a prospect, and he was actually okay as a Met until he got hurt, and they got traded for Ambierix Burgos, and then Ambierix Burgos killed some people. <laughs> um, but he had a pretty good career overall. He finished like third in the Rookie of the Year voting, I think, with the Royals at some point. Um, you know, injuries kind of. <clears throat> finished him as a, a pitcher, I think, even before he was 30, and then uh, now he's in the Red Sox organization. Uh, Hisanori Takahashi. Wow. Yeah. Um, I feel like I've told this story on the podcast before, but it's also my wife's second favorite Met behind R.A. Dickey. Hmm. Because we were at a... She was having a piece played in New Hampshire somewhere a few years back. Uh, it would happen to be the same day as the infamous Mets Cardinals was it twenty inning Fox game of the week game. Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah, the, yeah. The sequence went that uh, we watched the first bit of the game in the hotel, went over to the concert probably around six or so. I followed it on my phone until I had to turn off my phone. I think the concert ended. They were in extra innings, like the 10th or something. We went back to the hotel room to change to go to, like, the after party. We happened to watch. There was a sequence, I guess, where Takahashi got out of, like, a bases loaded, no out or one out jam in there. Mm. So she really liked Hisanori Takahashi after that. <laughs> then we actually went to the bar, watched more of the game, came back to the bar in time to watch Mike Pelfrey save it. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone has a crazy story about that game. Like, I remember I was all over the place during that thing and ended up finishing it at a bar in New York. I was in New York City to start the game, then I left, came back. Yeah, it was a memorable game, but that was a long time ago, too. It was 2010? I feel like it was a Jerry Manuel game. <laughs> it feels more say. recent, but like it's just it, it was a while ago. I can't remember. I think like 2009 or 2010. Well, Takahashi, 2010. Yeah, it had to have been 2010. So I was like, uh, Takahashi only was there the one year, and then one of the first things Alderson did was, uh, since they couldn't offer him ARB, I think, 
because he had that weird contract mm. coming over from Japan. And they didn't want to go three years like the Angels ended up going. So it must have been 2010 that happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ray Ordonez, also one of my non-franchise core four. I thought you might be pushing it in terms of like good players, but then you pick Kevin McReynolds, so I don't feel so bad. Oh, I'm sure that's the sequence of events that happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess Ray, it's, you know, I'm a slut for shortstop defense, so. <laughs> yeah, as we know. And of course, the last person is uh, Bartolome Fortunato. <laughs> that's not Bartolome Fortunato. It's Josh Satin. This is episode 127 of Amazing Avenue Audio. The I know I I don't for whatever reason I can't bring any muster to bear in terms of caring or thinking of names for the episodes anymore. So listener Andy Chapo on Twitter suggested uh, the uh, and his hair was perfect edition in honor of both uh, Jacob Degrom's performance in the All Star Game and uh, Warren Zevon. So there you, there you have it. All right. And we'll talk a little bit about Jacob deGrom's all-star game performance. Since there's not much real baseball to talk about, we're recording this on Wednesday night. The Mets don't play. The Mets don't play on Thursday night either. They kick off the second half of the season on Friday against the Cardinals. This is like a new thing. This like two days after the all-star break with no baseball. Yeah. I don't like it. I mean, I get it. They get a little more extra time off. That's great. You know, it's it's not really the worst thing in the world to give this team a couple extra days off, but and two days without baseball is not good. And like all you got for minors, yeah, the All Star like break it, too, so I can't even like pop on an MILB yeah. TV game. There was like two games on yesterday. It's like Ugh. it's not it's not great. It's not it great. Since it is the middle of the season, we will sort of do our mid season review. Where do we go from here? And we will uh, answer your emails. So let's talk a little bit about Jacob deGrom's performance in the All-Star Game. And I guess it was his coming out party on a, on a national level. Oh, it definitely was. Yeah, they actually got Harold Reynolds and John Buck to talk about what's going on in the field for a while. <laughs> Instead of whatever else. You know, for the, what, the minute and a half he was out there or whatever it was. It, was, it wasn't just that they were talking about him in the moment. I mean, and they were all blown away by him in the moment. But they kept talking about him like the rest of the game, at least as far as I watched. Yeah. Um, just because it was such a you know, amazing thing that he did. I mean, you can see it just you know ninety seven, ninety eight, yeah. late life on the fastball, a couple curves. And I sort of mentioned this on Twitter this morning. Like, we sort of eh, way back in the early days of the podcast, I sort of did a, a check in on Degrom after seeing him in the summer of two thousand thirteen, sort of when he was in Vegas. And that curve was just not. Like, admittedly, there was like they were just sort of showing it to him. Yeah, he was just sort of throwing it regularly, and it was not good. And even when he first came up last year, it was kind of like a show me pitch. Now it's an above average major league offering. It's probably like a fifty-five. It's like a solid average pitch, but still, it's you know it's his fourth best pitch, but it's a swing and miss offering. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> you know, coming into the twenty fourteen season, uh, he was. Not sure which uh, breaking ball he wanted to roll with. You know, he was he was going between a curve and a slider, and they weren't sure which way they wanted to go with him. And so, in the end, I guess they just decided, let's well, do I mean, both. They, they tweaked the slider too. He's throwing the uh, the now the now justifiably famous yes fourth and slider. Uh, yeah, and the curve's gotten a little tighter and a little sharper 
uh, as well. And of course, I think the changeup is a very good pitch that wasn't a very good pitch even when he first got called up last year. And the velocity just keeps going up. And he was sitting 97-98 in the All-Star game, which is, you know, a one-inning burst with the adrenaline going. But, you know, saw him in the summer of 2013 at 91-94, and that is not, like, he's sitting 94-96 now. Yeah. And they said, look, we were all wrong about Jacob deGrom. I've said this on the show many, 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 many times. Um, and just sort of to see a guy improve in that many separate areas... No, it's just it's it's incredible. It's crazy, and right. and you know it's just it, you know with him, you're seeing a trend of guys coming up and just seemingly getting better. Um, Dan Worth, that might be a really good pitching coach. Yeah, it's it's definitely something we're talking about because it, it, you know between Harvey, I mean Harvey took a, a an extreme leap, but the leap that Degrom is taking is probably even greater than what Harvey took. Because Harvey was a top, you know, twenty-five prospect when he was coming into the game. Yep. Um, Degrom wasn't even—he was making like honorable mention top ten lists, and that was like the high end, you know. So, it, yeah, I think I had him on. I had him probably like eleven or twelve <clears throat> before the two thousand fourteen season, if I had to guess. So I could easily go back and check. But. Yeah, I think that. I mean, I think that people on the site were probably a little bit higher on him than like he was nationally. I know that the highest guy on him nationally was probably um, Keith Law. Yes, just he ask liked, him. Yeah, he, <laughs> <laughs> he, he liked him a lot. Yeah. Other than that, you didn't really see anybody talking about him. And I think even Keith, I saw him more as like a you know, mid-rotation starter. Yeah. And there's just a quote at like Baseball Prospectus, you know, in there, what's the scouts are saying segment. Today, like, yeah, I completely wrote off Jacob deGrom. I was an idiot. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, but you know, getting back to the curve, he's getting a fifteen percent swing and miss rate with the curve right now. That's pretty good. Yeah, better than the slider even. Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, yeah, the slider was a laggard last year, um, but I think that even that pitch is taking a step forward this year too. He's throwing it harder this year, as we saw in that more than the slider yes. piece. Yeah, but it's sort of getting to Dan Wortham too it's not just teaching the Wortham slider per se that's certainly been a weapon for a number of guys you know uh, Harvey Wheeler DeGrom Familia Mejia <laughs> I still think probably Colin McHugh on some level <laughs> that's one of my pet theories yeah that sort of they taught him the Wortham slider before he left and if you look the he always kind of had like the hard slider cutter pitch but it got better it got harder and he started throwing it a heck of a lot more when he went to Houston I'm sure there's some other intervening things that happened there as well oh but... sure I mean he, yeah, he also made another stop in between there so. he did in, in uh, Colorado but it's you know adding a or emphasizing the two-seamer with Steven Matz adding the two-seamer to Syndergaard's repertoire like Syndergaard looks like a completely different pitcher with that two-seam fastball yeah, uh, it's just you know knowing what pitch to give a guy. He's had a tremendous amount of success with. Yeah, and Degrom specifically spoke of a mechanical tweak 
after the first four or five starts he made in the majors last year yeah. that you know he uh, attributed to the uptick in his velocity so you know got to give got to give worth some credit there too you know at this point behind maybe well i'm in i suppose definitely behind uh Dave Duncan of the Cardinals and Don Cooper of the White Sox. I think there's a case that Worth. I guess Rigetti's really good too, but I think Worth is certainly a top five pitching coach in baseball. I mean, the talent's there. Don't get me wrong. He's had a lot of high-end arms to work with. Um, I mean, the entire yeah, and you know, excluding Cologne, who I think Patrick Cologne probably was a top 100 prospect back in his day too. But <laughs> I should look that up. But uh, you know, certainly, you know, even Nice made a, a top 100 list. But you know, more high end guys like Mats and Syndergaard and Harvey and Wheeler, and uh, you know, J.R. Familia was a top 100 guy too. Certainly, so he's had premium arms to work with. But you know, those guys bust at a pretty high rate as a general rule. And he's turned them all into very good major league pitchers to varying extents. Yeah. Yeah. They haven't really whiffed too hard on any of these top guys yet. I mean, yet. it's early, but, you know. Well, it's, I think as we've talked on the show before, they've, they're all up in the majors now. Like, the next tier of pitching prospects is certainly not to this level. Right. Bartolo Colon was the 15th best prospect in baseball before the 96 season, 14th best before the 97 season. Per Baseball that, America. That makes sense. So he was an elite pitching prospect. Well, he's a, you know, he had, had a very good career. Let me take a quick, quick little peek here. So yeah, before the 96 season, he's a 22-year-old in the Carolina League. Yeah, 152 strikeouts and 128 innings. 1.96 ERA, and the year after between, uh, well, mostly in Double A, but a little bit in Triple A. He uh, pitched to a 2.57 ERA and struck out 75 batters in 77 innings. It's pretty good. Yeah. We're back, Jacob Degrom. Yeah. As we head into the second half of the season, uh, you know he's probably not going to win the Cy Young. He's going to get Cy Young votes, I think. Either Greinke's ERA lead or Cole's win lead will be too much to overcome. Uh, and well, I do think you know Scherzer or Scherzer doing whatever. I mean, it, it's he's probably the fourth most likely to win out of the, that group of four for a variety of reasons. Uh, the other three are going to have you know. Are more high-profile slash better teams, and uh, have probably a little bit of a little bit of a head start so far. Yeah, I mean but, he, he uh, he'll have a shot if he keeps pitching the way he is. But um, yeah, it seems like uh, it's going to be tough to overcome those guys ahead of him. So he's certainly been the Mets Cy Young of the first half, if those are the kind of things you like to talk about. Not so much us. 
But we'll do a bit of a midseason review. The Mets are 47 and 42. One game out of the second wild card by the Cubs, two games out of the NL East lead behind the Nats. We got an email towards the beginning of the season, Greg. I don't remember if you were on this episode or not. I think you were. Where somebody asked us uh, when the Mets were 14 and 5 or whatever. Whatever they were. Mm-hmm. Sort of like what our what our emotional state was around the team. Oh, yes. yes, yes. <laughs> and I made the remark that I'm a Mets fan. I'll never actually be happy. <laughs> so are we happy with where the Mets are 89 <clears throat> games into the season? I, I mean, I am. I'm very happy, especially lately. Um after that that trip to the West Coast, where they went, um, I guess four and two against the Dodgers and Giants, and then they they swept the, the Diamondbacks. I mean, that was fantastic because this is the gauntlet. This this month is where you know the rubber meets the road, or you know, so to speak. The, the schedule is really tough this month, and for them to get through probably one of the hardest stretches of it. You know, road games against above 500 teams or near 500 teams um, with that kind of record was great. And they're, look, they're 500. Uh, they're gained back in the wild card. Uh, people like to look at the Cubs and say the Cubs, oh, they have all this talent and, and the Cubs are probably going to be better. Who knows? I mean, the Mets have far better pitching than the Cubs do. Um, and while the Cubs do have more hitting, it's young hitting, uh, so you you never know how that's going to go. They're going to have ups and downs. I mean, Addison Russell hasn't been hitting. I know Chris Bryant's a stud, but you never know. And the 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 Mets have some some guys who could come off the DL potentially in a good scenario, uh, come back and really help the team in Darno and, and Wright. So five games over. What two games out of first game back in the wild card? I'm a happy guy. You are easy to please, Greg Carroll. How am I easy to please? What more no, do you I mean, want? It's, it's, I'm not doing nothing. I think I think you sort of hit on something though, where your mood relative to the team is just based on what they've done the last five games because they're so streaky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, you, if you were if you decided to, I do not recommend this. This is not an endorsement of this idea, but if you were to marathon every podcast we've done this season you would probably think we're like <laughs> yeah intensely emotionally unstable yes yeah well look I, I've said it on the podcast many times is that you know we don't go in a straight line and there's ups and downs throughout the year uh, and I you know right now they're, they're kind of up I'm sure that with the schedule that's coming up we're going to do a podcast in like 10 days that's going to be really depressing um, but you got to look past that, and and there's things lighten up considerably. In Eventually, August they play the September. Phillies again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think they have ten more games against the Phillies. Uh, and if you look at the schedule in August and September, it's it's pretty juicy. So you know, if they can go 500 against this really tough schedule the rest of July, things are looking really, really good. How do you feel? I'm going to give you some numbers. And I will, I will point out that I even back when they were 14-5, and five, I was advocating they go out and get a bat. Yeah. And that was back when they were roughly league average offensively. Mm-hmm. Now as a team, they're hitting 233, 298, 363. It's a 291 weighted on base average. 87 weighted runs created plus, tied for third from the bottom in the majors. 
<laughs> so what are you trying to say? I'm saying if they even had a reasonably average offense, average-ish, if they had, like, let's see, the Rays offense, they're hitting 240, 305, 377. Actually, it's not that much, but I need to find some a roughly neutral-ish park to make this comparison. Who's roughly neutral? Uh, if they had the, I can't go to say the Braves offense. I don't want to say the Braves offense. If they had the Twins offense. You know, two fifty, three hundred, four hundred. Yeah, yeah. Ninety-four yeah, yeah, way to run plus. Look, they have the They're third. 30, was they thirty-four and five when they score four runs? They have the third best ERA in the league. So yeah, any four and five when they score four runs. You know what the NL averages in runs per game? No. It's like 3.9 something. <laughs> like the bar for offense is so low. And they've given so many at-bats to below average hitters this year. It's not good. Well, yeah. I mean, Eric Campbell continues to get at-bats. And they've given, let's see, not even Campbell, who's had half the at-bats of... Someone like Kadire, who's got an 88 weighted runs created plus. Ligaris is 75, and I know Ligaris chips in elsewhere. You know, Ruben Tejada very quietly being back to not a very good hitter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, Ploiecki and Campbell have been really bad with the bats, and they've gotten between them about 330 plate appearances. Um, you know, of the players they've given more than 100 plate appearances to in the first half, Exactly three of them are above average hitters. Granderson, Duda, and Murphy. Oof. That is not good. And that's easily fixable. We're not talking about Troy Tulowitzki here. Like this is a right. very it's their one more pitching injury or one bad turn through the rotation from being a five hundred team again. Yeah, they need to figure out a way to win a couple like Six four games. I agree. I'm, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with you. And are you really going to bet on like the injury returns? Well, look, Darno. What's Darno's going to come back? Yes, I mean, he's had a broken finger and a hyperextended elbow. Eventually, that kind of stuff is going to eat into his offense in the short fine. term, at least. Well, look. In in the worst case scenario, Plak, he's he's been hitting better lately. He's been coming around. He has been hitting better lately. I'll give you that. Yeah, and he's he's a he's a decent receiver. Uh, Baseball Reference fucking loves his defense. Yeah, above average framer. So he, they haven't taken a hit in that regard. And you know, who who knows how much value that adds? Uh, could be a lot. Um, so it, look, I'm I'm optimistic about the team. I mean, come on. I, I would like to see them go out and get a bat. Uh, there's plenty of guys who, you know, like James Cairo for the site, you know, this week, the Marlon Bird would be a good trade target. And in the sense that he is a guy whose contract is expiring, probably, you know, not a, he's not a qualifying offer candidate or anything like that. So just with a, you could probably get him for not that much. And when I say not that much, you know, not one of the top pr- pitching prospects, you know, on the team or who are now in the majors. So, 
there's guys to be had, and I would like to I see them out of that. I agree. They need to go out and get them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm with you. I, I still, I'm optimistic, but I still think that they need to do something because they, you know, like you just pointed out, the, the offense is not good, and it, it could use improvement. And there's guys to be had. There's you know on teams that are not doing well. You know the Brewers, the Reds. You know these teams, the, the Padres. These are their, they have players on these teams that can be had and probably, you know, for, for not that much, you know, what's a Will Venable going to cost you, you know, stuff like that. I mean, we are literally at the point where getting, going out and getting like a Will Venable or a Marlon Bird or, um, you know, even an an Armis Ramirez, if you look at his recent performance, would be a major upgrade over what they're rolling out there right now. Yeah, Aramis Ramirez has already said that he's going to retire at the end of the year. So they, the Brewers have no real incentive to keep him. I agree. I agree with all of this. I do want to do a little bit of a... a I'm looking over sort of these names, and I feel like we've talked about most of them a fair amount this season. One guy we haven't talked a ton about is Juan Lagares. You consider okay. his first half disappointing do I think it's disappointing absolutely absolutely uh, I, th- I think that he, you know he's let you down with the bat he's been very poor with the bat so uh, has he I mean I mean he's not been that's okay I, I'll, I'll frame this differently yes he has been poor with the bat um, you know, his first year in the majors he hit basically this. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, and you know what? To, to I, I, we haven't really delved into exit velocity and all that kind of stuff. And who knows how much it, it is meaningful? But Wallagaris ranks very well in terms of exit velocity. I think he's got like close to a ninety-one mile per hour exit velocity, which is a, well above average for the league. So there's a chance that he is has been unlucky. Well, I mean, it's so, so he's still over a three hundred batting average on balls in play. And I think one of the sort of caveats you have to take into exit velo is that swing has no loft to it. Yeah, that see. So it may come off his bat very hard, that. but it's still going to be a single, maybe a yeah, double up the gap. The, yes, that's exactly right because I've been noticing like in the early goings of the season he was smoking balls, but they were all ground balls. And so yes, you're absolutely right. And 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 look, um, if you look at his sort of peripherals the last couple of years, um, his walk percentage his walk rate was 4.8 percent in 2013 4.4 percent last year 3% this year his K rate's gone down the last three years 22.8 percent which is above or below average depending on how you look at it not good uh, league average is around 20 percent to 19.2 to 18.1 this year you know the ISO is down a little bit but really if you look at the difference it's a handful of doubles you know his weighted runs created yes. plus two years was 76. It's 75 this year. He was a three-win player in 2013, a four-win player last year. He's on pace for to be roughly league average this year. And really the only difference is 10 to 15 runs of defense. You know what? Okay, so I, I see what you're saying. Well, I mean, I, I think you're um, right. So, yet we all kind of hope that he would either hit about as well as he did last year. Maybe the bat would even take another step forward. But at this point, you know, he's 26. 
Yeah, but not even with the bat, not even just with the bat. He's not – there's a – earlier in the year, I'd say that lately he's been playing a little bit better in center, but earlier in the year there were some balls. Oh, so, I mean, I, I think I read the Jeff Sullivan piece too. And here's the thing. <laughs> okay. No, but it's, it's – it, for stuff like that, it's a function of opportunity. I know there was like stretches in 2013, 2014 where it seemed like three times a week he'd go deep into the gap to make a play. But they're just right. not hitting. The their, last two years were an outlier. Right. They're just not hitting as this many year, balls where he has the opportunity to make those big defensive run-saving plays. If you look at the I'm numbers in terms of his ability to turn balls into outs in his zone, they're completely indistinguishable from the last two seasons. Yes, the arm is worse, and that's certainly part of it. He's hurt. The arm is he's definitely hurt. worse. He can't throw. We know this. Um, I don't think he's been an appreciably worse defender. And there were a couple noticeable balls, like, deep in the gap he didn't get to. Stuff that, like, clanked off his glove. But, you know, his revised zone rating is higher this year than it was the last two years. You know, he's on pace, in in sort of intrinsic in that, he's on pace for a similar number of plays outside the zone. You know, his inside edge data is comparable to the last two years. There's nothing that really stands out to me that says he's a worse defender this year. And I've watched most of, if not all, of the games. I think he's still an above-average center fielder, a plus center fielder. You know, one of the best center fielders in baseball. But because UZR is not spitting that out, I can't convince anyone of it. <laughs> no, I'm serious. No, I... I look, so he's going to he's gonna end up as but... like a 2.2 war player this year, and everyone's going to think it's a step back from the last two years. I just don't know if that's true. Well, look, yeah. Okay, okay, so do you you think he's played better lately defensively because his metrics have gone up, or do you think he's actually been legitimately better in the field? He's made more plays. To my eye, earlier in the year, he wasn't getting to some a couple of balls. That's what it is. It's literally a couple balls. You're, you're absolutely right. It's three balls. I can remember distinctly three plays that he didn't make. The arm is definitely an issue. It is. Though. I don't I mean, I, look, I don't can't, disagree with that. Right. We can't discount that. So, But, yeah, look, the underlying numbers in his batting stuff are still the same. Uh, you, you know what? Look, you've convinced me a little bit that really we're getting what we should expect from Ligaris. Yeah, I mean, I've always thought he's more of like, For the most more of like a second division starter guy. And the defense is going to be a function of opportunities to a certain extent. Yeah. But the defense overall, it's still great. Yes, I mean, absolutely. It's, it's still great. And look, and, and all you have to do, I mean, speaking of the Padres, I mean, like, look, that's a team that had no plan for center field this year, and their defensive metrics have been, you know, hideous. I know we can't really do in-season uh, defensive metrics. You know, it's tough to quantify, but look, there's a ton of value in having a plus defensive center fielder, especially in an outfield with Granderson and Kadire. I agree with all of that. And I think, you know, at the, I think there's he'll hit a little better in the second half. Like, superficially. There'll be a little more power, maybe a little more BABIP. And he'll end up around, you know, 250, 290, 360. Which, again, not sexy, but above average regular. Or average-ish regular. Average to slightly above regular. I just think, you know, the Juan Ligaris, the demise of Juan Ligaris was greatly exaggerated. 
And the funny thing, the, so the other funny thing is, of course, those those pieces are getting. There, I mean, there were a, a fair amount of pieces written when he had like a minus one DRS or whatever. Well, yeah, that was a little crazy. And then it immediately went up in like two weeks. But there's a lag time on some of those stats too, getting updated. So while people were writing mm-hmm. his demise, he was actually, by the metrics at least, putting up better range factor numbers. Yeah, and I still never, I never bought into the idea that he was a a below average defender like earlier in the year. Like that was crazy. The balls that he wasn't getting to were balls that were remote possibility of getting to. But granted, he would get to them in the previous two years. Anyway, I'm with you. I think that he'll be fine. So with that out of the way, (laughs) what is your favorite moment from the first half of the Mets season? Your favorite thing? It can be a game. It can be a moment. It can be a player. Well, since you said moment, um, nothing compares to the first game that Harvey was back at Citi Field. I was there. Um, the crowd was insane. Everyone was on their feet. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I think I've told it before. You know, you know, everyone, everyone knows what happened. But in the first inning, he comes out, strikes out the first two batters, and like the the, the crowd was just—it was the most electric I've ever seen City Field. Um, it was it was really great. And then and then he did give up a home run to Chase Elliott, which I think is probably the only ball Chase Elliott's hit over the fence all year. But uh, the air that just got sucked out of the stadium was it was comical um, but that whole game was just was great uh, not only I mean the first inning was the great best moment by far I mean everyone was just going crazy but that was the game that that right and that's the last, last game that right ended up playing because that was the, the game that he pulled his hamstring um, Kadir got hit by a pitch and Flores got Terry hit by Collins, a pitch too yeah Terry Collins got tossed it was a crazy game. Um, so that, that's definitely my favorite moment of the first half. I've really been impressed with Noah Syndergaard, which should oh, yeah. seem obvious. I mean, he's been very impressive. Um, but it's just... So there's there a couple of different things at work here. One, having him come up and shove is, is great. You know, sort of throwing throw the two-seamer. The change-ups looked better in his last few starts. Um he's sort of starting to figure it out I think on the mound Um, and just there's a little bit of fun as a prospect guy to see some people that said some stupid things about him have to you know suck it up a little bit (laughs) and of course that home run was like what was it we just did a the piece went up on the side like the longest home runs the first half his was like number three (laughs) (laughs) this is dead center it was like yeah it was an absolute bomb Yeah, he's been he's been very impressive. He's been he's out uh, outdone my expectations for him by yeah, a lot. He, uh, you know, his first like four or five starts were more what I expected, sort of like up and down, struggled with efficiency, and then all of a sudden it's just like the last three or four times out is just like a a switch flipping. Yeah, and it was against some pretty. It's not like he got the the Phillies, the Brewers, and he may have gotten the Brewers in there somewhere, actually. But it's not like he got, like, <laughs> these terrible, uh, terrible offenses. You know, he pitched well against the Dodgers, one of the, one of the better offenses in baseball. 
Interestingly, he has the fastest fastball among starters this year, I believe, as well, by Fangraphs or by PitchFX. By a fair amount. Does he's averaging like what ninety six? I think it's ninety seven actually. Is it ninety six or ninety seven? It's something like utterly ludicrous. That's my dog. Yeah, of course it is. He's absolutely insane right now. My dog is my dogs are sleeping in their on the bed and, and they're great. He doesn't know how to handle me talking to no one. <laughs> I can imagine it is a weird thing to observe, I'm sure. Yeah, no, the last, the, look, he, he had uh, the Arizona, who's not a terrible offense, but, you know, the Dodgers before that, so only gave up one run to them, so yeah. It's been good offenses. Struck out 11 uh, Toronto Blue Jays. Also a very good offense. I think the best offense in baseball. I think so. I think they were at least at the time of uh, time of that game. And, uh, you know, I, I've said before on the show that uh, Steve Matz is a motherfucker, but Syndergaard's... There's also that moment, I think, in his last start where he just that shrug as he was walking off the field. Yeah. The Syndergaard good. shrug. It's just one of those moments, <laughs> like... It's a little, uh... It's a little Jordan-ish. Yeah, it's like, hey, can't help it. <laughs> so Noah Syndergaard, good. Juan Ligaris, okay. We'll see where the Mets go from here. That, in a nutshell, is your mid-season review. And now we move on to your emails. And before we do emails, we do housekeeping. This is Amazing Avenue Audio, episode 127. Amazing Avenue Audio is the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. Find us on the internet at AmazingAvenue.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. Join our Facebook group at Facebook. This went over 20,000 likes. I know our traffic is way up over the last year or two, but... Yeah, no, so it's, it's, it's like tripled. It's kind of insane. All, I, I, of course, all because of this podcast, I'm sure. And me that telling is... me telling you where to find the site every week has been the uh, yeah, that, key to our that success. And, that and Steve Striver. Yeah, but you can also find the uh, Facebook group at facebook.com back. Oh, I can't say backslash slash Amazing Avenue. Right. You find the podcast on iTunes. Just search for Amazing Avenue Audio, and you can listen or subscribe right there. I encourage you to do both. I also encourage you to rate and review the podcast. You find the podcast on iTunes. Yes, I just said that. You also find the podcast on the Stitcher app. Download directly from blogtalkradio.com slash Amazing Avenue. Listen to the embedded player that goes up in the podcast post at Amazing Avenue proper. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. My co-host this week is Greg Karam. You can follow him on Twitter at Greg Karam. That was the housekeeping. These are your emails. You can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. And our first email is from Mike, which I actually missed last week because I read the date wrong or something. Jeff and guest. My, yeah, my computer is so slow. This is horrible. Last week I asked about trading a young starting pitcher for a young bat. It's two weeks ago. Sorry, Mike. My thought was the Grommer Harvey would turn a King's Ransom in talent, and that's the kind of trade that could infuse some offensive talent into the team. This week I want to think outside the box and wonder what kind of value Juan Lagares has. 
I know his offense has been atrocious. Yes, see first segment. And his arm probably <laughs> needs surgery. Yes, see first segment. But he's still young, 26, very affordable and controlled until 2019. His defense is elite. But the Mets need more offense. He still has offensive potential. So a team that is not contending at this time would value him highly. Maybe a team like the Brewers, perhaps for Gomez. It seems like Ligaris is not enough. So maybe a Gazelman and like a top 8-12 to 12 player. I assume he means prospect. So would you consider trading Ligaris? And if so, what kind of value do you think he has? So we have talked, I think, a few times over the years in the podcast about trading Juan Ligaris. And the problem you always run into, and he is signed to a very team-friendly extension right now, but the problem you always, always run into is sort of the top line. Yes, and he's a gold glove center fielder. We know this. But the problem you run into when trying to sort of sell a Juan Ligaris trade to another team, or when that team has to try to sell it to its fan base for, say, Carlos Gomez, which is probably not going to happen, um, as we all know, we measure offense a lot better with more precision. Um, with a better sort of understanding of sample size than we measure defense. And you are trading for a career 261, 297, 359 hitter. That is a tough sell. Yeah. And again, I, I always, when the subject of the Juan Ligar, potential Juan Ligaros trade comes up, I always point the show in the direction of someone like Peter Burgos. I was thinking that too. Because that's sort of the only, that's the other one. That's the only comp for like an all glove outfield uh, guy that got traded. Yeah. Because <clears throat> it doesn't really, I mean, Franklin Gutierrez got hurt before that was really yeah. a possibility. Uh, I guess you could maybe look at, and you know, he has a longer deal with more money on it and he plays a different position but you look at someone like Andrelton Simmons who is you know a career 250, 300, 365 hitter which is also not very good um, and I do wonder what the market sort of bears for him you know he's longer, younger than Ligaris um you know, he has a, just a couple of years ago, has a 17 home run season in there. That's the kind of thing that might get you excited. You know, he doesn't strike out much. Maybe you can convince yourself he'll bat up his way into a, a couple of average seasons. Um, but I don't know what, what Simmons gets traded for in the end, either. And as much as it pains me to say, Simmons probably a better shortstop than Ligaris as a center fielder. Well, Simmons is probably the best defender in baseball right now, right? Yeah, probably. He was just on uh, the Fangraphs trade value. Of course he was. Yeah. We won't get into that. <laughs> trying to keep the show under two and a half hours this week. <laughs> um, and I just wouldn't look into trading him because you have him on a, unless you're going to get a huge return, because you have that team-friendly extension. You know, well, and if right, he's me, the guy me... that lucks his way into a, a good couple of good BABIP seasons, a couple of big batting average seasons, or he takes yeah. a step forward with the bat, all of a sudden you've got an incredibly valuable player. 
Yeah, which could happen, you know. I mean, you give him a thousand plate appearances, you know, maybe he improves. Um, well, let me ask you a question: Would you trade Juan Lagares for uh, Justin Upton? No. Okay. So that that I mean that 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 helps gauge you know the trade value. Well, it's it's a rental. It is a rental. And would I trade Upton? Would I trade Ligaris for Carlos Gomez? Yes. I would trade Ligaris, Gazelman, and who's your eight to twelve guy? Let's say uh, Casey Meisner for Carlos. Yes, absolutely. I would too. Um, I think you, from the way the Mets are positioned, need to get that extra year on the back end. And I love Juan Ligaris. As you know, I also love Carlos Gomez. Our next email is from JJ. Ahoy, Jeffrey, and definitely not a clever synonym for co-host. Firstly, many thanks to you for exhausting your vacation days and or your wife's goodwill. My wife's in Spain for three weeks. She's fine. To watch slash scout low-level minor league games. Solely, I'm sure, for the benefit of Mason Avenue prospect dorks. Your annual trips and write-ups and discussions thereof add tremendous value to AA's war website above replacement stat. Because you are kind enough to make these trips, and also because you host a podcast which listeners may send electronic mail, I'm going to ask you questions about marginal, at best, minor league players, by whom I have been in the past irrationally excited, and to whom I consequently pay excessive attention. You can think about your life choices. Well, tell me about Vicente Lupo, the enemies of pineapples everywhere, is having a generally down year, although he's showing decent <laughs> generally down year. Although he's showing decent power for Savannah, anything hopeful there, did he at least rip something interesting in half with his bare hands. So while watching Vicente Lupo from the seats, I sent a message to Toby Hyde saying, What's Vicente Lupo's K rate at this level? It's gotta be like forty percent, right? And he looks it up, it's like, Yes, yeah, exactly forty percent. Yeah. yeah. It's it's not good. Yeah. Uh, and a good, I think, slightly instructive uh, example of how valuable Appy League stats are since he hit 280 there last year. Um, it's just, and he can't, he can't really play left field. He's a 20 runner. Um, Look, he's only on anyone's radar because he matched into DSL, which yes, is like, come that on. Is, that is the reason. And, and look, I'm at least partially responsible for that. Only because we paid attention and yeah. knew that it was happening. But yeah, no, not so much. Um, he will be probably out of the org in two years. And won't get out of A-ball in the interim. No. John Mora, I emailed about this diminutive dude last year, and your response was basically, Twitter shrug. But he's having a pretty good season, so I'm asking about him again. Can he play a passable center field? Does he have a fourth outfielder ceiling? No and no. I mean, he's a legitimately bad center fielder. Like, it's... You know, you see some guys like like Juan Lagares, and it's not fair to compare to Juan Lagares. The ball, like off the bat, Juan Lagares is like out of a cannon. Yeah. Off the bat, John Mora is a deer in headlights. Every time, <laughs> like every time, like balls that aren't even hit that far from him, he just freezes on everything. And he's fast enough still to sort of make up for that, but. It's not good in center field at all. Yeah. He's, he's a little old for the level. Um, he tries to pull everything. I mean, every everything. Everything. Um, 
So yeah, no, that's the zero for two, JJ. Sorry. Before we continue, I'll let my dog out of the room since he's whining. <laughs> I told you, my dog barked for like the fourth time since we've had him. Oh, are you actually continuing to answer the question? Or are you just talking about your dog? Oh no, I, yeah, I was just talking about my dog. Right. He just barked for like the first, you know, I told you he hadn't barked that much. He yeah. barked because I was talking. Yeah. Champ Stewart. Oh, we're going to be 0 for 3 here. Statistically, Champ <laughs> has taken a step back this season. Are you feeling more hopeful or less hopeful about his chances to hit a little bit? Um, I, you know, I saw him in St. Lucie. It was, if anything, his approach slash contactability have gone backwards from Savannah. Like, he's really pressing right now. All right. So then, yeah. So we can... We can do away with Jim Stewart, I guess. Yeah, probably. Randy Gonzalez. This year's source of unfounded enthusiasm. I'm assuming you would have mentioned Mirandi had you seen him. Since he's generating such stupid good results. But just in case you gleaned any sense of how he's been putting up said results, I wanted to ask about him. Uh, I did not see him in the GCL. He just got promoted to Kingsport. Um, I will... He is interesting enough that I know... I, I probably have a way to get... Uh, report on him in a few weeks at least as far as stuff yeah. so we know if he's just like a soft tossing guy that can spin a breaking ball if those guys eat up the rookie ball leagues or if there's actually something there stuff wise I think he threw like a 7 inning no hitter the other day in the yeah. GCL. it's a GCL man yeah you can do anything there it's true you really can yeah I'm, I'm you can be yeah sure I, if you're going to hang your hat on one of those four guys, I'd go with uh, Randy Gonzalez. Yeah. Do you don't have any specific evidence right now to uh, dash your hopes and dreams, JJ? <laughs> Our next email is from Michael. Hello, gents. Not to sound like an Alderson stooge, but I disagree with your sentiment from last week. Look, the Mets weren't very good last week because they lost a few games in a row. So the podcast is going to go up and down. Uh, that his drafts haven't been so good. Don't forget, he never had a pick higher than nine in five years. In fact, they were mostly in the early teens. That it's still not, you, you can get value there. Sure, the Astros and Cubs have been tremendously successful, Appel and Aiken aside, but it's less strenuous when you have a top-five pick. This year is a perfect example. Cubs, for once, have a lower pick like the Mets. They have had to settle for Ian Happ, who is nowhere nearly as highly regarded as Schwarber. He's like, uh, Baez or Bryant were. Don't worry, the Cubs... Twitter machine will have Ian Happ as a top 50 prospect by the end of the year. Mets have made a string of promotions this year from Sandy's draft, which in and itself is a success, but they also still have a top 10 system. Um, not. Probably not. Really. Regardless of what anyone may think of the remaining prospects in our system, well, I mean, it's not. Okay. There are plenty of future major league regulars down there, which again is impressive. My second point of conversation is a trade possibility. With all of the hitters the Cubs have, you think they'd be willing to part with Baez for, say, Nice and Fulmer, or some similar configuration. Castro is unmovable, so I just don't see where they can squeeze Baez in. I saw some footage of a toned-down leg kick from this year in Iowa, and it looks like the coaches down there have helped him to realize that his quick hands are more than enough to hit the ball out of the park. Supposedly his makeup is great, great arms, good speed on the bases, off the chart, bat speed, and power. I think he can be a great by-low candidate. What do you fellas think? Am I dreaming, or is this possible? Do you even believe Baez can hit enough to make a real impact? Fan Mike. 
so the I didn't mention this at the sort of outset of the mid-season review. Uh, the Mets are only a game behind the Cubs for the second wild card, so I don't think they're going to be trading partners in the coming weeks. <laughs> I would imagine not. That seems like a bad... Uh... I'm not saying they don't still match up. I think they do, obviously. But that's one of those things where your GMs are going to be a little bit more risk-averse. Yeah. Because those are the kind of deals that they don't go right for you. Those that, that, those deals get dudes fired. Not that I think Alderson or uh, Jed Hoyer are particularly on the hot seat. And yes, Jed Hoyer is the general manager of the Chicago Cubs. But... <laughs> well, look, I mean... I- and look, Baez has been better in Iowa this year, superficially. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, I think he's going to be a good major leaguer. Eh, I don't know. Yeah, you maybe. I, I think he's, he's okay. He's only with twenty-two. I mean. Yeah. He's got he's got he's got plus raw power, um, and I don't think the glove is is he has terrible. More than plus raw power. <laughs> yeah. I, I, plus plus raw power, but yeah, I saw I saw. I saw him hit one into the street at Wrigley the other last year. It was awesome. I mean, look, I like, I still like Javier Baez. I just don't know. You know he's still striking out in twenty five percent of his plate appearances. You know, which if it's enough, it's it's a low enough rate to make the power play. Let's put it that way. You know, it's lower than Bryant had at that level last year. Right. So I haven't but given you... up on him. I just don't think they're uh... a deal of Nice and Fulmer for Baez probably helps the Cubs more than it helps the Mets this year. So in that sense, I probably don't do that deal. Right, because Nice is an upgrade in the back end of their rotation. Yeah. And Baez, you know, you, you yeah, you're going to drop him into the Major League lineup at shortstop instead of Tejada, I guess. I don't... It's, it's very, very high risk. Yeah, and... It might work, but it might not. Um, we'll go back to the Mets draft. Like, I don't. And you are right; they haven't been able to pick consistently in the top five, like you know the Pirates of a few years ago, or the Astros and Cubs more recently, the Rays back in the mid two thousand. And that does, you know, they've lost a. Uh, Second round pick for Granderson, a first round pick for Kadire, that does, you know, impact your ability to you know, build a consistent winner, as Sandy Alderson likes to say, given payroll restrictions. You do kind of have to hit on all those guys. And sort of the the hard tank tends to work out better in terms of getting potential, like really high impact prospects in your system. And yeah, even if I were to grant you that the Mets still have um, a fair amount of future Major League regulars in the system, which I, I yeah, sure. Uh, that's that's fair. I think. They're still not that like... You know, the future Major League regulars tend to have adjustment periods too. They are guys like Kevin Ploiecki and Dilson Herrera. You know, they're not guys like Chris Bryant and Carlos Correa. You know, those elite top 10, top 20 prospect types, 
are more likely to come up and, and make an impact immediately. And look, I mean, you know I'm the last guy to do like the, oh, they could have had Jose Fernandez or Michael Waka bullshit that you'll read and see elsewhere, but... J.P. Crawford. J.P. Crawford. Um, they're, you know, they've drafted weirdly. Uh, you know, I mean, they've had four first-round picks. None of them made the majors yet. And granted, three of them were high school kids, so that's not... damning in and of itself. But of those four guys, only Conforto looks like to me, a potential above-average major league regular. Yep, that's fair. And they were drafting yeah, 9 to 12, 9 to 13, or whatever, basically. Ideally, you'd do a little better there. And, you know, they've overdrafted prep guys in the second and third round a fair amount. Um, you know, the guys that have made the majors this year is like, you know, like Danny Mono, who, you know, really... <laughs> it's not really your first should be your first option um, and look I like Logan Verrett I always have liked Logan Verrett a little bit um, yeah you know, Leather Sitch was better in the majors than I expected admittedly it's a very small sample size and then Wally Backman did Wally Backman things to his arm but yeah you know, they, they went prep heavy so it's going to take a little bit longer to evaluate but let's not pretend like they've like dumped all these high-end prospects into the system through the draft at least the last four years because it hasn't really happened that way yeah that's fair but yeah look they haven't really been picking in a spot that yields that kind of return uh typically so and then they've been there consistently um yeah there's guys they've missed on but you know we'll, we'll really know how it's shaken out in the, in the next year or so. Because by that time, you know, maybe Nimmo will be in the majors. Yeah, Nimmo, Conforto, and Chiquinho will probably all be in the majors by this time next year or thereabouts. Yeah, so, you know, we'll have a better sense. Our last email is from Dave, Dear Jeff, and Greg. Is Juan Lagares' season defensive regression, as it seems the pundits are making it out to be? Living in rural Minnesota, I don't get to see much video. Too long didn't read rural internet sucks. Basically highlights and listening to Howie and Josh on WOR are all I get. This is a case of Lagares getting a bit of Beltran-like criticism, where he just gets to everything and there's no need for him to crash and dive into stuff. Or is he really taking a step back on defense this year? Conveniently... We covered this in the first segment of the show. Yeah. Also, with your discussion on episode 127 about a familiar all-star jersey, what's your favorite jersey? What's your oddest jersey? I don't know if I have a favorite of mine, but definitely the oddest goes to my Beloit snappers, Aaron Hicks. That's pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> but as is well known on this podcast as well, I'm a bit of an Aaron Hicks fan. Cheers, Dave. Actually, right now I only have two jerseys in rotation. A black R.A. Dickey and a blue Bartolo Cologne. <laughs> that is it. I only ever write Shirzy. I've um, moved away from Shirzy's in recent years for yeah. whatever reason. I've moved more towards uh, minor league Mets team t-shirts. So I have a Sand Nats one I like that's bright green. I have a uh, uh, Binghamton Mets 
2014 championship shirt. I have I just got one in St. Lucie with like the Beach Bum Mr. Matt on it that they use for their logo. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, do I have any other ones? Really? I have my uh, Rain Delay Mr. Met. It's like a Major League one. I think I have a Savannah Sand Nats playoff shirt from a few years ago, like 2012 or something. Uh, that's sort of where my direction has gone. For whatever reason, now it's hard for me to get like those majestic shirts to fit properly. You're at an, an odd size. I'm not. I'm like a medium or whatever. Um, but for whatever reason, I don't know if they changed the cut in the last few years. But for whatever, I don't have. They don't seem to fit me. They get they get really boxy on me for whatever reason. The cologne yeah. one actually fits okay, and so does the Dickie one. But I've had some weird. I had a Nike Davis one that was really weird. Like the smalls tend to be too tight in, in the arms, and the mediums tend to be too boxy. Yeah, well, I'm not much of an apparel guy. I, I wear hats mostly. That, that's how I show my fandom. I've uh, certainly had odd jerseys in the past. Lasting's Millage, which I found at a Bob store nearby. I'm really actually sad I ended up giving that to Goodwill two moves ago. But had a John Main one for a while. Anything weird? Got to make cuts, you know. I own too many T-shirts as it is. I own so many fucking T-shirts. I keep getting T-shirts. I like work like an office job five days a week. Like yeah, never you keep, wear if you all keep these moving t-shirts. too, you gotta you, you know you just throw sh- shit out when you move. So. I have like a million t-shirts in my parents' basement, just like in a tote. Like t-shirts I like, band t-shirts, wrestling t-shirts, Mets t-shirts. You just you just got to cut it loose, man. Yeah, I know. I always sort of like think like in my head I'll just like, well, I'll just keep those t-shirts in reserve when these t-shirts like start to rip. And I'll just have t-shirts and I'll have to buy more t-shirts, but I just keep buying more t-shirts, so it never actually <laughs> Never works out that way. I gotta get a Yard Goats t-shirt too. Yeah, I've been meaning to get downtown good. to their pop-up store. I just haven't had a chance to yet. I know. I might want to get one too. And there's no good way to park. No good place to park in downtown Hartford. There's no free place to park in downtown Hartford. And I guess their little pop-up store is better selection than their online site, but that is. I do like that Beloit Snappers Aaron Hicks. I'd like to like. Not many teams do minor league jerseys. It's a problem. I would love like a like a Las Vegas 51's Stephen Matz jersey or a Las yeah, Vegas yeah I would wear I would wear a Buffalo Bison's Harvey jersey yeah jersey and a lot of these teams as a general rule don't do uh names in the back of the shirts anyway. I think only the Vegas 51s do, as far as Mets affiliates go. Um, and I guess their GCL team too, which I think is just because they just use regular Mets jerseys. And so scouts know who these people are. <laughs> <laughs> which I appreciate it, by the way. Because <laughs> they don't announce player names or anything like that. Yeah. Or even, I, they may have given us lineups. I wasn't. I don't know if they had, like, lineups stashed somewhere or something. 
So those are your emails. Once again, you can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. And we will wrap things up this week with uh, another dual soccer update. We'll, of course, start with IFK Gothenburg. Still top of the table after a listless 0-0 draw with IFK Nekorpring. Nekorpring? I don't know. Whatever it is. Should have won. They got a they got a penalty in the last ten minutes. It's actually, kind of a dodgy penalty too. I wouldn't. It was very soft. And then uh, they took probably one of the worst penalties I've ever seen. Like the keeper had it completely covered from the word go. No power. No placement. Keeper tracked it the whole way. Ended up. 0-0. They're still top of the table by three points. And the schedule flips now. They started the second half of the season. So as it works out, they have Norcoring, uh, Norcorpering again this weekend. Huh. On the road this time. So we'll see what they can do. We'll explain why they weren't settling. They didn't like park the bus or settle for a for a 0-0 draw in the game last weekend. They were definitely pushing to try to get a winner for the last 15 minutes. It just didn't work out. Got to do a little better. Service from the midfield is still a little underwhelming. I will say as well. Sounds like you watched the game. I did. I actually watched it this week. I am impressed. I believe they have, I don't know if it's official yet, who they're playing in the, well, I guess it's the second round, but their first round of Europa League qualifying yet. I think they're still in the midst of the first round. I think it's like the, maybe this week is the uh, second leg of those games. So we'll keep you posted on that. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday assigned another player. Added Ross Wallace on a free transfer from Burnley. Play on the wing. He played in their most recent friendly. Today, they've played a couple friendlies. It's very early on in the season. Season's ramping up. It's ramping up. We're less than a month from uh, the first game of the season against Bristol City. That's uh, August 8th. Have you been watching any of the Gold Cup? I have not. They're all like on when I'm at work, I feel like. Yeah. I watched one game. But I'll uh, see what I can do catching catch this week. I didn't get seen in the Copa, Copa America for the same reason. A few weeks back. Yeah, I just watched the final. I'm getting a little excited. I don't know. Like I said, I think... Like I said, I think before off, off air when we started, I think it's going to take a year to gel. Bring in a new coach and a new system and a new committee and, you know, like eight new players. Some of whom are on season long loan. So supposedly they're being linked with Jordan Rhodes, so we'll see. Supposedly there's like a nine million, I don't know if it's nine million pounds or nine million dollar bid in on him. Well, look, you know, your expectations for the season kind of color a lot of how the season plays out for you as a fan. It's true. So. I, it's, and there's going to be top six expectations. So there you go. That's it's going to, and not necessarily from me, because I, I think I have to give them some patience, especially if it doesn't click right away. Though the, 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 the Portuguese winger, Matthias, looks like he's legit from the reports from the couple friendlies. Granted, they both went against non-league teams, but still. Right, and, and the significance of the top six is that the top or the bottom four of the top six end up playing in a playoff. Is that right? Yes, Greg. 
I'm just explaining for no, our yes, audience. Yes, for our audience, yes. Um, but to get somebody like Rhodes in, uh, who's been a you know a one and two striker at this level for basically his whole career. You know, he scored 73 goals and 134 appearances for Blackburn. So getting like a true sort of, you know, 20 goal striker into the lineup, you know, was going to be one of their major off-season tasks. So if they can get Rhodes, and again, this is just like Twitter rumors, and Twitter soccer rumors are way less reliable than Twitter baseball rumors, which aren't all that reliable anyway. That's actually pretty impressive. It is. But yeah, his last three seasons for Rovers and League, he scored 27, 25, and 21 goals. That's pretty good. It's not bad. He's a proven goal scorer at this level, as they like to say. I mean, they've been linked to everybody. They've also linked to Gary Hooper from Norwich City. Uh, Callum Wilson at Bournemouth, who I actually wanted them to get uh, last uh, summer, but they had no money then. I think if I'm thinking of anybody else. I'm sure there's more. They've been linked to everybody. Yeah, I'm getting a little excited. All right. So we kept it more to like the hour 15 mark this week. Yeah. I don't know if that's good or bad. That might just be a function of not having much baseball to talk about. <laughs> well, it's better than it's better than an hour twenty, or an hour an hour two hours. Two hours and one hundred twenty minutes. One hundred twenty minutes. Yes. Yeah. As we start to, they must make the playoffs. I can only imagine what those podcasts will be like. <laughs> Oh, that would be exciting. That would be fun. You might have to do, like, you know, like, daily, effectively wild style. You would, pods actually. for the playoffs. After, after, you'd have to have, you'd have to have a podcast after every game. Yes. That's probably accurate. But until that happens, you'll have to wait a whole week or thereabouts for another edition of Amazing Avenue Audio.